Hey, yo, what's up? What's my theme music? Make it all the way through third grade for nothing. Cram it up your ass and set it on fire so the whole world can see you running around with your ass on fire and go, well, a fat lot of good that PhD's doing him with his ass on fire. This is Mr. Sledge's After Party, the supplement podcast where I take a topic and ring it to an inch of its life. Beware, the views expressed in this podcast are Kevin's and his alone, and do not reflect that of the rest of the Court of Nerds. So open your ears, because I'm on the internet, and I have opinions. Hello and welcome to episode number 11 of Mr. Sledge's After Party. This week I'm going to talk about something that is very near and dear to a lot of our hearts. The rise and fall of Toys R Us. I want to grow up, buy Toys R Us, get They got a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid They got the best for so much less You'll really flip your lid From bikes to trains to video games It's the biggest toy store there is, gee whiz I don't want to grow up, cause baby if I did I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid Once a Toys R Us kid Always a Toys R Us kid This past weekend, my family went to Toys R Us liquidation sale. My son, who is five, wanted to get his first big boy bike. I was a little scared because I was unsure about what awaited us there. I knew there would be big crowds, but I didn't expect to see parking lots clogged with cars and shelves already quickly emptying. Jeffrey the Giraffe was standing outside giving people high fives. My son asked who he was. I told him he was the mascot for the world's best toy chain. It was controlled chaos as employees who knew their tenure was ending bullshitted with customers and stopped caring about any loss prevention protocols. I'm glad we did it. I'm also kind of glad that we will never do it again. Toys R Us was that iconic classless toy store. People from every background went there, and kids roamed the aisles staring up at tall shelves of possibility. For over 70 years, this chain has fed the machine of capitalism with little more than catchy jingles and childhood imagination. At its peak, Toys R Us was considered a classic example of a category killer, a business that specializes so thoroughly and efficiently in one sector that it pushes out competition from both smaller specialty stores and larger general retailers. Since the rise of mass merchants like Walmart, Target, and Amazon, however, Toys R Us has lost much of its share in the toy market and fell behind Walmart in toy sales in 1998. This has been the speddy drumbeat of the news. Amazon and Walmart killed Toys R Us. Or Toys R Us killed themselves via Amazon and Walmart. But is that true? Just a few years ago, Toys R Us was the iconic American retailer. Six months ago, it filed for bankruptcy. Now, all 800 of its American stores and 100 of its British ones are closing or being sold. As many as 33,000 workers will lose their jobs. What happened to America's biggest toy store? Simply put, Vulture Capitalist killed it. Our story begins in 2004. After big success of the 1980s, Toys R Us performance turned lackluster in the 1990s. Sales were flat and profits shrank. 
Toys R Us was a public company at the time, and the board of directors decided to put it up for sale. The buyers were a real estate investment firm called Vornado, and two private equity firms named KKR and Bain Capital. You may remember the latter from the 2012 campaign ads. It was also co-founded by former Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney, though he'd moved on well before all of this. The trio put up $6.6 billion to pay off Toys R Us shareholders, but it was a leveraged buyout. Only 20% came out of the buyer's pockets. The other 80% was borrowed. Once Toys R Us was acquired, it became responsible for paying off those massive debt burdens, while also paying Bain Capital and the other turn firms exorbitant advisory and management fees. In theory, everyone wins in a leveraged buyout. It's supposed to take an ailing company private and retool it into a leaner and more effective business. Then it's sold back to public shareholders for a profit. The buyers make money, the shareholders get their healthier business, and workers stay employed. What actually happened was Toys R Us continued to stagnate. The company never really figured out how to respond to the changing market or the rise of online retail. And it missed out on some opportunities like licensing the Star Wars and Lego Movie brands. Besides, rising inequality and wage stagnation ate away at the broadly distributed middle-class consumer base that Toys R Us and other retailers traditionally relied upon. Whatever magic Bain, KKR, and Vornado were supposed to work never materialized. From the purchase in 2004 to 2016, the company's sales never rose, much above $11 billion. They actually fell from $13.5 billion in 2013 back to $11.5 billion in 2017. On its own, that shouldn't have been catastrophic. The problem was the massive financial albatross that was leveraged buyout left around the Toys R Us neck. Just before the buyout, the company had $2.2 billion in cash and cash equivalents. By 2017, its stockpile had shriveled to $301 million. Even as its debt burden ballooned from $2.3 billion to $5.2 billion. Meanwhile, Toys R Us was paying $425 million to $517 million in interest every year. This enormous cash drain probably made it impossible for the company to invest or innovate, even if its trio of buyers had been up to the challenge. It also made it impossible to sustainably turn a profit. Toys R Us consistently saw net losses from 2014 to 2017. But in the last three years, those net losses were considerably smaller than its debt payments. In fact, the losses were shrinking amidst a general boom in the toy industry sales. By 2017, its losses were all the way down to $36 million. In other words, if Bain, KKR, and Vornado had never come along, Toys R Us wouldn't be doing stellar, but it probably would, could have muddled its way through. As recently as last year, the company still accounted for 20% of all U.S. toy sales. Think about that. 20% of all U.S. toy sales. One out of every five toys were sold at Toys R Us last year, and they're out of business. Instead, the legacy of the leverage buyout turned this into an existential crisis, and Toys R Us filed for bankruptcy midway through last year. Then, when holiday sales didn't pan out, the company's leadership decided to sell or shutter all of its stores. 
and 33,000 working people will lose their jobs. Bain, KKR, and Vornado will have to write off their investment, of course. Uh, but they did suck around $200 million in fees out of Toys R Us over the course of their ownership. Which is a lot of money. Basically, the trio took an imperfect but functioning company and cannibalized it for cash. Frustratingly, the story of Toys R Us debt burden has been a footnote in news coverage, buried under the musings of how the company failed to compete with the likes of Amazon. And when the debt is covered, it's often devoid of context. Toys R Us just happened to borrow money, and it proved to be a bad decision, and now the retailer is suffering from the fate of imprudent borrowers everywhere. Rarely does everyone point out that the debt was a deliberate Wall Street strategy. Nor was it an isolated strategy. As David Dayan has diligently chronicled, there are sorts of leveraged buyouts that are dragging down retailers across the industry. In fact, we can widen our gaze further to the entire economy. In a remarkable turn, corporate payouts to shareholders and stock buybacks recently started to collectively exceed corporate profits. And the gap is made up by borrowing. In short, how Bain, KKR, and Vornado treated Toys R Us is how Wall Street treats American businesses writ large. If inequality is dragging down profits of retailers and other industries, then these cannibalistic practices are the other half of the feedback loop, driving inequality ever higher and depriving Americans of jobs and incomes they need to consume. In other words, we are all Toys R Us, and the vultures are hungry. We still need 180 tickets. Mm. Actually, we need 190. I spend 10 on hillbilly tea. You what? Well, how can I be mad at you? If only there was a way to get more tickets now so we could be the first one to get those buckles. What if we printed up a bunch of fake tickets? Then, when we earn the real ones, we tear those ones up. It would be like giving ourselves a loan. And borrowing against the future is what built this country. It's true, Phil. That's what made our economy the envy of the world. Thanks for stopping by the after party. Stay on the lookout on the Reverse Centaur podcast for the Trial of Fripp Shallows, who earnestly contends that he did nothing wrong, or at least nothing outside of his alignment. I'm Kevin from The Court Nerd saying, I'm not so much growing up anymore as much as I am growing out. Bye. Bye.